We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. You're going to make mistakes. I make mis- We all make mistakes. There's going to be slip-ups. So you can't beat yourself up. You just have to say tomorrow, I'm going to come back and I'm going to show up for my people. And that's, that's what you've got to think about. How do you show up for them every day? And if they get that, that message, that message will connect with them. They'll know you've got their back and then they'll do the best they can for the kids. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Dr. Mary Beth Edmonds is an experienced principal and central office director with a demonstrated record of excellence in public schools. She's dedicated to high academic achievement for all students in environments that encourage, respect, and nurture every child in every class, on every day. Dr. Edmonds' career spans over 40 years, having taught secondary English and reading for 20 of those years. After earning degrees in English education, reading and administration, Dr. Edmonds successfully defended her dissertation to earn a doctorate in educational leadership, management, and policy from Seton Hall University. She's skilled in curriculum development, assessment, and coaching. As a former principal and director of professional development, Dr. Edmonds mentored aspiring administrators and novice teachers. She's highly experienced in supervision of instruction, strategic planning, and talent management. Dr. Edmonds also is a published author of numerous articles and blogs with a recent publication in a book entitled Things I Wish I Knew. Additionally, Dr. Edmonds is the creator and host of Hashtag Edmonds Out video series on social media platforms. You can view these videos where she shares her musings in order to inform and entertain. You can also follow her on Twitter at Dr. M.B. Edmonds, where she connects with educators from around the world. And lastly, but definitely not least, Dr. Edmonds volunteers on behalf of children and adults with autism. She serves on the board of trustees of Eden Autism Services, chairing their committee on aging and medical needs. Boy, from the length of that bio, um, you can tell that this is going to be a fantastic conversation, rich with examples, stories, tips, tricks, all that stuff. I am so happy to have you here, Mary Beth. If if I could talk to you for hours, I think I would because you are a wonderful plethora of knowledge. 
Well, thank you uh, so much, Chris, for the opportunity to uh, speak with you on Seed to Lead and uh, share some of my um, experiences and perspectives, but also my musings, because we're we're living in a fabulous age right now to be educators and um, to speak with other educators, regardless of where we are. I'm in New Jersey or in Massachusetts. We, we can exchange and have dialogue that... Uh, helps to move all of us forward. So again, thank you for the invitation. Right. The the smartest person in the room is the room, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> the more we can get together, um, the better. You know, it's funny with your bio as long as it is, and we were talking a little, a little bit pre-show, that you actually, when I talk about people and what they're passionate about, you're actually recently retired, but you're not retired. So talk to us a little bit about that and your next venture in education, because you're so passionate just about education that you're you're not walking away. Oh, absolutely not. I'm I'm running uh, actually on to the next thing. And, <laughs> and so I, I've decided to ditch the word retire, Chris. Uh, that, that word's not in my vocabulary. My word instead is retire, uh, is inspire rather. And I really am on fire for a fair number of things because being in the schoolhouse, you're able to accomplish a lot. And then once you're out of the schoolhouse, you could you could reach uh, further into the universe. So with my Edmonds Out series, let me let me talk a little bit about that. During the pandemic, or actually at the very start of the pandemic, I started making little videos to reach out to people because I felt very isolated in the house. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just start talking to people. And believe it or not, I now have a following, and folks are interested. Folks are interested in being connected uh, to others and just sharing thoughts. So some. Sometimes it's about education. Sometimes it's it's about how hard it is to, you know, wrap up cookies after you've ripped open the bag. So <laughs> incredibly difficult. I'm here to tell you. It's incredibly and, difficult. And, right. I mean, and and um, you know, these are the are kind of the uh, the small the small things that affect all of us universally. And and people have reacted to that. So I'm continuing with my hashtag Edmonds Out video series that people could tune into me on social media platforms just to say, you know, I'm out here and you're out here and how can we connect? And that's that's been uh, terrific. Uh, the other thing that um, I'm very passionate about uh, is volunteering on behalf of children and adults with autism. I believe that every child, regardless of Whatever label we might put on a child deserves to be treated with respect and to be encouraged and included. And that's not just children in schools, that's adults too. Um, as, as I say to everyone, when I have the occasion, every child you meet with autism is going to grow up to be an adult with autism. So our society and our communities need to learn more <laughs> about not just awareness, uh, acceptance is, is the key for our next part of um, our journey, but also to embrace our autism uh, participants with jobs, with uh, community acceptance, and uh, and that's what I'm working towards. So I chair their gala. The gala is happening January 29th at 7 p.m. <laughs> and so we're raising funds. We're, we have a virtual live stream that's going to take place. And uh, I hope uh, that we, we do well with that. It's obviously going to happen uh, prior to this broadcast, but that's that's part of what I've been doing since uh, exiting from the public school. 
That's excellent. And, you know, the idea of the autism piece, I, I really liked what you said there about every child with autism is going to grow up to be an adult with autism. And the whole piece around acceptance, that comes from understanding, right? And, mm-hmm. and if, you, if we don't approach it with that mindset of understanding, then we can never reach acceptance. We have, we have a, um, an ASD program. It's Autism Spectrum Disorder Program in my building. It's fairly new. And it's amazing. I, one, I, I love going in there to see the different needs that students have and how we work to meet those needs, but to see how they're accepted around the building, that the students, you know, don't, don't stare and point and whisper and things like that. They just, they accept them into the student bodies of the building. And I, I really believe that it's because we treat them as part of the student body. We don't, we don't try to separate them away or, or make it something out of the ordinary. We just treat them like every day part of the student body. So I, I think that's great, the work that you're doing. Well, and it, that work uh, spanned my, um, one of my positions actually is director of secondary education, which uh, wasn't in, embedded in this uh, bio. But uh, one of the things that struck me when I went to our high school library was that the librarian was putting books on a cart to take to the autism program. And I asked her, I said, why, why are the books leaving? Because I thought maybe they were doing a project. She says, oh, well, they, uh, the teacher doesn't bring them down. Uh, we just bring the books up. And I said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> no, 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 no. We have to make a shift here. They should go to the library. This is their library too. So we started creating a corner in the library with books that, you know, easy read kind of books and books. We, we found out what their interests were. And I said, let's, let's collect some books on their interests. So what that, when they come down, you know, if they like trains, there's books about trains accessible to them and so on. So I think you're right, Chris, that, you know, we need to open our minds a little bit more and say they're part of the school. So (laughs) they shouldn't be eating in their classroom. They shouldn't be uh, having adaptive phys ed in their classroom because I watched that too. I said, wait a minute, why aren't they in the gym? Right, right. Why are you bringing mats into the room uh, to do yoga? Well, we thought it would be better for them. No, (laughs) they should have the experience of going into the gym physically and having their their physical education. Whether you adopt it or not, shouldn't be in the classroom, should be in the gym. So um, those are just two examples that I can think of that... um, you know, we just need to open our minds a little bit more and and remove ourselves from those. Um, you know, they they go separately somewhere, and that's that's something that just it's an easy change, really, in my mind. Now, so and I, you know, you say it's an easy change, and a lot of times the the perspective I have about things is it's an easy change, but it's it's never an easy change because you're you're dealing with that human element, right? And the idea of change is scary in and of itself, especially when it's out of the normal realm. Mm-hmm. which which makes me think about you after 40 years not retiring but getting inspired and still being on fire that 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 burning passion still for education i mean you you mentioned so many things in your bio about you know the whole idea of mentoring curriculum strategic planning talent management autism is there something about education that keeps that passion alive what what is it about um educating others that that keeps you passionate or keeps that fire burning? Well, here, here's, here's what I think. Um, I think we each have a, a desire to share 
what our purpose is, right? Uh, one, finding our purpose, which is the first the first step. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Finding our purpose, because that uh, sometimes if, if um, individuals don't really understand their purpose, they're wandering a little bit. But once once you find your purpose, um, the next thing to do is share it and share it with um, with abandon as my my philosophy, share it with abandon. So if someone is in my orbit and I can share my thoughts and it has an impact on them, uh, that that keeps my fire burning. And, you know, usually when people ask me for advice, the first thing I tell them is you could accept it or you could reject it. I don't I don't really want you to just take it for granted, you know, roll, roll it around in your mind and think about it. And if you reject it, that's fine. I won't be hurt, but um, we, we need to listen. And, and it's the same with me. I, I keep my ears open because I'm always learning from someone or, or something that comes my way. So I think, I think it has to deal with purpose. And I think if you don't have a purpose, or you can't find your purpose, you're, you're a little bit lost. But once you do and you share it, that's uh, that's what makes life worth living in in my estimation. Uh, you know, and it's funny because I I talk about purpose, and I heard that's so important what you're saying about finding your purpose first off, and how many people don't know they're just kind of adrift. Mm-hmm. But when when you find your purpose, I I heard this uh, this past summer we did a we did a professional development ed camp type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we called it a summer camp at my school and the keynote speaker, Christine Raven Weinstein, she said that the whole idea of having a purpose is you can't have a purpose or truly have a purpose. If people don't know what your purpose is, it's not a matter of you just finding your purpose, but you should be living it so much. And it sounds mm-hmm. like this is what you do and living it so loud that people know your purpose just because that's how you carry yourself and that's what you get involved in. That's interesting. It's a very interesting take on things. People should just know. So that's, that's, that's interesting because um, a lot of people preach, uh, know your elevator speech, right? Yep, and, yep. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes I have a little trouble with that. I, 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 I must say that, you know, I try to get, you know, compact everything in and say, well, you know, the elevator, here's what I have to say. But um, I, I do know that people want to connect. There's there's no question. Most people want to connect. And, and this period where we've been in lockdown, and although we've been on the screen, there's still uh, that innate drive to con- connect and belong. I think I talked a little bit about belonging in my information to you. It's just so critical. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's that human need. It's that very important human need. So, so I think people connect. And and, um, and I'm willing to connect. You know, it's interesting because so from a leader standpoint, I that those were two of our things that we talked about a lot at the beginning of this year because we came back in person this year. Uh-huh. And so we talked about the idea of community and belonging and how we approach that. Now, we we approached it, you know, by trying to get kids involved in different activities and so forth. But it's not easy, but it's it's a decent stretch to make students feel as if they belong and that there's a part of community in your school. There's many different actions you can take to do that. What I wonder as a leader, though, is twofold, and it has to do with your purpose. One, how do we help teachers as leaders find that passion or that purpose in their life and ignite it, but also have them feel as if they are part of a community that they belong to while they're doing that? Do you have any ideas for the listeners for that? Well, absolutely. 
when I first became principal, and this was back in 2006, I spent the first two years just working on the people. In other words, I wasn't going to dive into curriculum revision. I wasn't going to start new initiatives. I wasn't going to change the colors of the school. Uh, None of those things were um, priority. What was priority was making every person that works with me, every adult that works with me in the school and the parents feel like they're the most important people in the world. And that they, uh, what they feel and what they believe and how they work was to be valued every day. So making the daily visits to all the classrooms before school started and after the bell rang and so on was a task, but I did it. I did it every day and and I committed two solid years to that. And I'd be outside in the morning waving to the parents, waving to the bus and and, uh, watching the kids run off the bus because that's the thing that I love the most. If kids get off the bus and they're running to get in the building, I know they love it here. And that's and that's what I want to see as much as we say, slow down, don't run. And that's what I did. And, and we had a similar situation, uh, Chris, where we had been uh, virtual. And then the first faculty meeting coming back in person was very, very important to me. I spent hours and hours and hours trying to uh, decide how do I set up this meeting? So um, I I was able to get t-shirts for every teacher and every uh, adult actually in the building. And it's and it has our motto, we take care of one another at Mammoth Junction, which is my school. And then on the back, I got the PTO to help me fund this. And then on the back, it says, we've got your back. So every teacher got a t-shirt that day that, uh, you know, display the motto. And also had we got your back and that we were wearing that the first day the kids were coming in so that when the kids saw the teachers coming and going, they, they got a message. Everybody universally had this message. We've got your back. And that meant a lot to the teachers. Of course, I got stress balls for them. I had, you know, I had the music teacher come in and playing piano and um, flowers. And so it was welcome back in a big way. Welcome balloons, right? So these are the things that I think people respond to. And so when they when they came into the uh, cafeteria for their first meeting and there were flowers and balloons and signs and music, <laughs> it didn't seem like they were coming to a faculty meeting at all. And I want that's that's what I wanted. So I think in response to your question, how, how do you do this? You got to put a lot of thought in taking care of the people and making sure that it's not just lip service but you're, you're going to live it every day. And, and the other piece that I would always advise administra- you know, aspiring administrators is, you know, you're going to make mistakes. I make mis- we all make mistakes. There's going to be slip-ups. So you can't beat yourself up. You just have to say, tomorrow, I'm going to come back and I'm going to show up for my people. And that's, that's what you've got to think about. How do you show up for them every day? And if they get that, that message that message will will uh, connect with them. They'll know you've got their back, and and then they'll do the best they can for the kids because that's what I tell them too. You've got to feel your best to do your best. That's awesome. You know, it's so important the idea that you're authentic like that. You're you're talking about how leaders do have bad days. It's not always it's not always pretty. It's not always perfect. But the idea that you're offering yourself some grace actually builds trust and relationships with the teachers that you're serving. Right. And, and no matter, you know, here's, here's the thing. The kids know if you love them. Yes, they do. 
They really do. Whether whether they're three years old or, you know, I, I taught seniors. So, you know, I've seen every, every kid at every age. And, you know, there's the ups and downs, like the three-year-olds, they run and they hug you around the legs. And the 15-year-olds, not so much. You know, you get to 15 and you're like, oh, boy, let's, let's not get you angry. But um, the kids know if you love them. And, and honestly, uh, Chris, I, I have uh, young people who are now in their 40s on Facebook and, and Twitter that stay connected with me, who are my former students, and, um, and we still love each other. We just love each other. So, so that's, that's an important part. Um, remind me of the second part of your question, because the, the question, I lost the question. I was just talking about, and, and we were going on about how to, how to kindle that fire in teachers, because, you know, and I mean, especially, and so now that you asked me to, to clarify it, let me, let me actually adjust it a little after, okay. after hearing you talk. The, what we've been going through has been difficult, right? So, so burnout is more prevalent. Burnout's always been there, but it's more prevalent now because mm-hmm. people get, into the mindset of just one more thing. It's, it's just the monotony I'm overwhelmed and, you know, the self-help things don't always work. And because there, there really is no seemingly end in sight. So when you, when you lose sight of the light at the end of the tunnel, it becomes increasingly bleak. How in a time like this can leaders keep that fire burning inside of teachers, um, offer the hope that they need to continue moving forward. And even though they're not in the best frame of mind, even though they're not giving what, you know, some outsiders that aren't involved in it would deem a hundred percent, they're giving it their hundred percent. They're showing up the best they can each day. Um, unfortunately, it feels like that's less and less of the best job that they can do. How do leaders keep that fire lit for them in times like this? Well, I think it goes back to what I originally said. How do you show up for your people every day? And 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 being visible and visiting them at their classroom, you can't, it sounds like a nominal kind of thing, but it means so much. It really means so much that, you know, she took time to walk across the building or up the stairs or down whatever to, to say hi and and mean it. So I, I think that's that's one one way. I think also acknowledging that people, that some people, not all, some people are at the breaking point. I think I've never have seen so many people at the breaking point all at one time. We've seen it, obviously, (laughs) maybe an individual because, you know, there's a family circumstance or something's happening outside of school that they are uh, having difficulties. But but this whole situation has created a lot of stress and anxiety. And, and if, if we're giving them self-help things, we have to really mean it. By that, I mean, don't say, uh, well, you know, I want you to count your steps and meditate and, and t- you know, what your lunch, your 30-minute lunch, you take for your lunch. And then you, you say to them, well, you, you have these five reports to do. And I want to see your lesson plans on my desk. <laughs> and, and then you've just, uh, you know, that that doesn't, it doesn't connect. If, if it's, again, it ta- uh, speaks to your word authentic. I mean, if, if you want people to take care of themselves, give them time to take care of themselves. I think some schools I've heard, you know, don't have the classes on Friday and those kinds of things. I, I think I think those are the real kinds of things that mean something to people and help, you know, it's like a pressure relief valve. Let's, let's re- release the pressure. But if you pile things on, it's, that's not going to work. People see right through that. 
Yeah, it's not. I, I said the other day, I was talking to somebody and I don't know why I didn't think of this two years ago, but it's not, we always talk about things we can do for teachers. Well, right now, I think if we flip the the perception on that of it's not what we can do for teachers, it's what we can stop doing to teachers that is going to be the real thing for helping them. Right. And, and I think the other piece too, that makes it a little more difficult, and you alluded to this briefly, uh, people outside of education um, have, have been a, somewhat critical, I would say. And uh, not- a nice way of putting it. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the school, the teacher, the principal for sure has become a very easy target for when things go wrong. So for example, if, if school has to close again and go virtual because there's an outbreak, oh, well, you know, why are they, you know, I have to, I have to go to work and my kids got to go to school and what are they doing? And can't they just, whatever. And uh, my kid got vaccinated. Can he come back sooner than the quarantine? And, and I wish, you know, I wish I could do those things, but I can't. And um, so uh, the school and the administration, I believe uh, also needs a little break here because they are an easy target and there's been some unkind things and it's made it more difficult. It's really made it more difficult. So as I said earlier, I, I, we've seen people at the breaking point from time to time, but not everybody all at once at the same time. I mean, that's the diff- that to me is the, the real key here. That's very different. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up about the outside piece because that lends itself to the to the next thing I, I really wanted to hear your opinion on. Um, and it has to do with the whole way we look at schooling and the way we look at education being disrupted during this time. But that's a bigger that's a bigger question. So what I want to do is take a quick break, hear from our sponsors. We'll come back and we'll get on that question. How's that sound? That sounds great. Thank you. Today's podcast is sponsored by Better Leaders, Better Schools, the podcast that inspired me to start this one. Since 2015, the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast has released hundreds of episodes with millions of downloads. Subscribe and listen each week to great conversations on the topic of school leadership. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay, and we're back with Dr. Edmonds, and she's she's given us a lot to think about as far as how we we help teachers keep their passion alive and keep focused on um, doing what they love or remembering what they love about education and staying in it. So what I wanted to lean towards is the idea of where we're at now and the, the, the additional stress and anxiety that teachers are under and leaders from outside pressures, from inside pressures, and just it keeps on going, the the grind, and sometimes it it can feel a little crushing. We're living in a time in education right now that a lot of us have said from time to time, education needs to change. Schooling needs to change and the way we look at it or perceive it. Maybe the structures, maybe something like that. And we're living in that disruption right now that has kind of pushed us past that, uh, whether we wanted to go or not, uh, with the whole idea of virtual tech, things like that. In your, in your opinion, 
moving forward, um, because schools and education really can't look the same that they did pre-pandemic. People reach for when things get back to normal, but um, I think we're looking at a new normal. So in your estimation, what should schools look like for teachers and students? Okay, so um, educators have been asking for disruption uh, for a long time. Let, let's, let's blow this up, right? <laughs> there you people, go. people are saying, okay, so now it happened, right? We've got this big disruption and, um, and things have had to look different and we had to do it in 48 hours, right? I think that's about... <laughs> that, that, that about sums it up. Yeah. That's about sum, that sums it up. So, so all of this piece that we need to, to make change and be different is, is here. And so we have to think about well, all right, what do we want to keep, right? What do we want to get rid of? And, and what just needs some, some tweaking, okay? I think, I think that's one way to approach it because um, to make these big changes have been very stressful. And, and you're right, everybody wants to go back to normal. So we, can't, we just can't do that. We just can't do that. So, so here, here are some of the things that I think uh, we, we should consider. Virtual learning has a place. It has a place. We know we can do it, right? We got we get everybody hooked up on the internet, and kids are better at mobile devices and all kinds of. They're they're so much better at all of this than the grown-ups are. Let's face it. So 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 the question becomes: How do we use virtual learning for the benefit of students for whom we serve? Right? For some kids. That might not be any, might not be any, or it's really just play. So we, we have to move out of um, the factory model, which your listeners, I'm sure, know that the factory model has been with us since, um, since the <laughs> beginning of the 20th century. The, the advent of factories. <laughs> right, right. The Industrial Revolution brought the factory model of education, and now we're no longer a factory model. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we need to do for the kids that makes sense? In-person learning has a place. Which part and which parts of in-person learning make sense for the kids that we serve? Now, does it have to be every day? Does it have to be six hours and six and a half hours a day? Does it have to be 180 days straight? Does it, could it be six weeks and then, then you do something else? I, I think we have to move out of the Monday through Friday, uh, 9 to 3.30 scenarios and build individual plans for kids based on how they work. That's, that's what I think we should move towards. And I think parents and kids should be involved in setting up their programs. Now, is that the right thing for three, four, and five-year-olds? I'm not sure. Early childhood might look a little different, but I think there's a place for them to play at school with one another. They have to. They, they must learn to socialize. So I think, I think that's important. The other piece that I'm a big, well, actually, there's two more pieces. And then kids should learn by doing projects. So I really like the 80-20 model. In other words, you spend 80% of your time studying, and then the 20% of your time, you're just working on your project. 
And in that, in that project, whether it's uh, STEM or literacy, whatever the projects are, you know, what kind of, what kind of big problem do you want to solve? Right. Ask, ask the kids, what, what problem do you want to solve? So, you know, if I think back to some of the projects that I did when I was a kid, I had to look up Brazil, you know, you know, what commerce happens in Brazil and draw a map of Brazil and color in a map of Brazil. And, and that's what you hand in. So I, I think we need to flip that around and say something, you know, Brazil, um, Brazil's climate is destroying the, the forests, let's say. How do you solve that problem? So you got to learn about Brazil, but you also have to solve a problem. And I think those are the real world things that kids are going to want to do. So problems and, and, and solutions. And, and lastly, kids should learn outside. We, yes, yes. <laughs> as much as I spent almost all my life in a schoolhouse, get them out of the schoolhouse. And, and I'm not saying going on a typical class trip, but go learn outside, go learn in the, in the woods, go, you know, I, I think we don't make enough uh, effort uh, to do that. So, so I think the Holy Grail is going to be finding what matters in each of these different areas, not, not just say, what should it be? I, I think we have to say, what constellation of things should it be? And how do we best match that to the child? That's awesome. And, and for, man, I'm glad I asked that question to you. Uh, for the listeners, and I just want to make sure, so everybody hears this and make sure I, I got it right with what, what you just said, is it has to do with individualizing student learning. And not necessarily like we're talking with plans and things like that, but uh, on paper, like we do now, and we say, oh, we have an individualized learning plan. No, we're talking about a robust change where virtual learning has a place, in-person learning is a part of it. And you met, I love that you mentioned 80-20 because of a, of a personal thing with my own kid. I'll get back to in a second after this. But the idea that things are problem-based and they're outside. Get kids outside uh, in nature and, and get them back to enjoying the outdoors for what the outdoors are instead of inside staring at a computer screen or writing on paper. That, uh, that, that'll activate them learning so much more. Did, did I did I get that right? Yes, yes. And and you see, uh, and I'm not saying that the virtual doesn't have a place, right? Because that's the place mm-hmm. I started, right? The play, the, but but you know what worries me is that kids, you know, we we keep the kids on the Chromebook all day long, and then when school is over, they go home and they're on their Chromebook all night. Right. And wait a minute, you you've got to be in touch with the world too. And so the reason why I say being outside is, is understanding their environment outside of themselves. I mean, if you're not getting on your bike and riding through the woods, you're missing something. You're missing something with your connection with humanity and nature. And the the last thing that I want to say, and you really didn't ask this question, but the world of work is going, is is changing right before our eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Teachers are uh, teaching from home. We have a lot of people that are leaving the office and they're they're working from home. So, so the location of work is changing. And I believe that not only will the location of work change, but the kinds of ways we know work will change. So, and I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but right now I think we have a mindset that, you know, you go to college or you go to your trade school and then you go to work and you, you know, you drive to, you commute to your office or your, your factory or wherever you commute. 
the world of work has changed. The world of work could be 24-7 any place on the planet. So how are we preparing kids to to try to understand how they're going to move out of their school environment or their education into the world of work. So so I think we have to keep our minds open to having kids be in touch with more than just the Chromebook. Okay. Say, am I making sense to you? You're you're making a ton of sense, but now what you're doing is, and I'm, I'm sure the listeners are getting this too, my, now I'm really thinking, so let's blow this up, right, as leaders. You're talking about that individualized piece for students with the virtual piece, the in-person, all of that stuff. Now, and all I could keep thinking about is future-proof, right? So as things change, that you build a structure that's flexible enough or a system that's flexible enough that can change as these changes come up because they're getting more and more rapid as, as we go through. How do we as leaders, because our institutions, the institution of school, we're not changing with the future or as much as we need to. So how do we as leaders treat our teachers, and obviously as professionals, but the same way that outside industry is teaching their professionals in an effort to provide students that multifaceted plan that you're talking about, that that individualized plan? Can we do that for teachers? Can, Can a teacher's professional responsibilities or duties be done part virtual, part in learning? Am I making sense in asking that? Well, the answer, uh, right. yes, yes. Well, what's I think that the answer like? is yeah. yes. How? How is the big question? Right. So I, I think here's here's the thing: S- schools and teachers rely on predictability, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think of bell structures. I think of people that have retired that tell me, "Well, geez, I, I've got all this extra time. I'm, I'm not eating lunch in 22 minutes because it's 10:30 in the morning." You know. Right. Right, 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 right. I just, you know, I could go to the, I went to the supermarket first thing in this morning. I mean, I'm never able to do that before, but so, so here's, here's the thing that I think um, is going to be the learning curve. What does it mean to know work? What are the ways of knowing work? What are the ways of knowing school? I think we have to start asking different questions to pique people's imagination. And so so I'm going to take some of these uh, pioneers. I call them pioneers, like uh, Branson and Musk. Mm-hmm. They don't think about space the way we do, right? They're asking their think tank people, "What are the ways of knowing space? What are the ways of knowing robots?" So I think we have to help teachers ask those questions and have those kinds of conversations. And, and, and I think you're right. The, um, the smartest person in the room is the room. I think we have to start opening up their minds versus, uh, you know, here's the script for the math program and you need to be on page 10 by, you know, two 30 on Tuesday and all those, you know, the pacing, you know, I go, I go crazy. Oh, we're talking about pacing again. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, you know, of course I didn't say that in front of anybody because I'm the school leader, but we want everybody, you don't want everybody uh, teaching Hamlet while you're long. You want them to finish Hamlet and go on to some other piece of literature, right? So you want to talk about pacing, but put everybody in the pigeonholes. How are they going to think outside of the way we normally think? So I I think part of what we need to do is connect leaders in industry with teachers in the same room and give them time to talk and think. 
because the thing that I think teachers have been um, railing against as, as people talk about change in education is bring the teachers to the table. Don't just ask right. uh, experts in the field. Um, talk to the teachers and, and give them opportunities to think differently. And so by asking some of these hard questions, I think can help. But I don't, I don't think there's any teacher I know that's thinking about work differently than what we commonly think about work. And, and right now, everybody's, everybody's changing their ideas about work. That's if that makes sense. Does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. That makes so much sense that, I, I mean, we could we could do a three-part podcast just on that alone, on that discussion. But, well, and here's, here's the other thing, too, that I've been learning about as, as I've talked to other people during, during this pandemic. And naturally, I'm not a millennial, but what they tell me is that millennials want to find their purpose in work. They just don't want to get a job. And, and part of the reason, I think, why there's this mass exodus of people leaving their current jobs is because they're starting to realize that they're really not finding their purpose in work. I mean, I think it goes back to our original, our original uh, points of this conversation that if, it, if you don't feel like it's purpose-driven, you're probably going to say, you know, I'm quitting. Yeah. I'll find something. And it, it's flexible enough. I mean, it, the job market or the... <laughs> What what you could constitute as a job or a career is so wide open now and so flexible that you have the ability to do that and create your niche. So it's you know it's uh, it, it's interesting the the situation that that's created the idea of millennials wanting a purpose for their work and and that that's a catchy thing too. I I think that the more people see that happen because I, a lot of times you have people. Right. The younger generation, I can't believe they wear their hair like that or do that. You know, all that old stuff. Same thing. I can't believe they're going to do that. And there is that negativity. But boy, how many times do you have to see a millennial become successful? Not your traditional road before you say, hey, maybe they're onto something. And Uh clearly anybody younger than them looks up to them and says, hey, they did that. I want to do it, too. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy almost or um, a self-driven machine would probably be a better way to put it. Hmm. Very interesting way to look at it. But. I, I think we're at a turning. If we go back to school being nine to three thirty, and uh, everybody's pacing uh, their curriculum the same, the same days, and um, uh, I think we'll lose an opportunity. And um, and I, I I just don't know how we're serving kids if we do the same thing. I I really think we need to break out of that box and do some things differently. And and maybe we could um, you know I, I think. As much as the standards movement helps us, it makes everything standardized. We're back to an industrial model. So I, I think these are these incongruities we need to examine carefully. Mm. It's a big task, big task. A huge task. <laughs> so as we're talking and we're getting near the end of the, end of the podcast, there's two questions I ask everybody. And so I want to make sure I, I ask you these before we, before we leave. If you were an educator, and this may be difficult because you're so passionate about education and everything. If you weren't an educator, who, not what would you be? Well, I, I know I would be a ballerina. That's fantastic. <laughs> Why? <laughs> that is fantastic. Why a ballerina? Uh, you know, there's there's just something so delicate and um, graceful and perfect uh, 
and and the harmony of um, movement of the human to the music and the story, because there's a story, you know, the ballerina is telling a story. I don't know if people realize that or think about that, but that's, that's her job. Her job through the interpretation of her body and the naturally it's through the choreographer in the set and all of that, but um, it's telling a story and um, there isn't a syllable attached to it, right? So I think I would have loved to have been a ballerina and I would have been happy to put my toe shoes on every day and twirl around. <laughs> there, there you go. I, um, I can't say the same for me, but that's all right. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I would have solved any problem, any great problem, or if I would have um, uh, shared, but I think there's something about that experience that's so unique and different and, um, and, uh, and it's kind of glorious, kind of joyful and glorious. So that's, that's my story. That's my, my alter <laughs> alternate. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome though, because do? you'd be affecting people right on a deeper emotional level. Right, you'd, right. you'd be affecting people in a positive way. So right, that right. makes perfect yeah. sense. <laughs> so anyway, that's my answer. All right. So now on to the other one, the, the bigger one for the, especially for the listeners after we've been talking for this amount of time, what's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower their teachers? Well, Chris, leaders have to listen, listen fully, listen carefully, listen intently, and take the time to listen. Not uh, listen with the intent to respond, but listen with the intent to understand. And, you know, I, I've heard people say, meet teachers where they are. Well, how does anybody know where someone else is? <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's a real false um, statement when you really uh, parse that out. Because it's only after listening very carefully and affirming another person and and paraphrasing back to them. So do you mean this? Never take for granted that you fully understand someone and that you fully, you fully get it. Uh, acknowledge that you want to listen, listen intently. Let them know that maybe you can't, you can't do what it is they're asking you to do. But taking the time to listen, listen intently and listen fully, I think is the first step when you're making that human connection and you're honoring the other person and um, never be so bold to say, Oh, I really get, I get her or I get that. Just say, I, I'm trying to understand you as best I can from where I sit because um, you really, you really never know. You really never know. And um, that person deserves every ounce of your listening. That's such a powerful statement that that person deserves every ounce of your listening, the idea that they're, we're all human, right? Mm -hmm. And so we all deserve to be listened to in an attempt to understand where we're coming from, what our journey's about. Correct. Correct. Because you really, you really can't unless, unless you're listening fully and intently and taking that time. And, and I know we're all busy, we're all busy. And, um, but, but that's, that's the first step. And, and it's hard because <laughs> you, you want to move on to the next thing. And um, you might have three kids outside that ha had a fight and uh, you have to call their parents and all of, all of those things. You're, you're going to get to that, but um, you want to listen, make the time to listen. Perfect. I, you know, 
Dr. Edmonds, thank you so much for being a guest on today's podcast. You've said a ton of things that people are going to learn from. And, you know, you talk about expanding your net um, and your, your contacts on social media as you move into this next phase of your journey in life. Uh, I can't imagine that people are not going to jump on board and, and become part of your network. So um, what's the best way to reach out to you for more information? Yet? Okay, well, right now, the best way is at Dr. MDR. Dr. M.B. Edmonds, that is my handle on Twitter. And so, you know, that social media connection, uh, if people want to um, follow, if they want to DM for uh, specific information, right now that's where I am. Um, my website is not fully operational yet, but that is coming. And, um, and I plan to communicate and reach out because, you know, the, you know, the universe is out there. And it's just waiting. The universe did not put a, a stop sign up. It did not put up a, a traffic light. The universe didn't do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> the universe doesn't even have COVID. It's right. just waiting. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, I think I think there's plenty that we could do. And um, if if we talk about silver lining, which I think now is cliche, it's forced us to to hop on these social media platforms and on Zoom and connect with other that we wouldn't ordinarily have connected with, like our, our uh, conversation today, Chris. It's been delightful. And um, you've uh, asked me some really good questions uh, to help me dig out of my head um, to say, well, what, you know, what do I know about that and how can I express that? So I appreciate, I appreciate your questions and your time. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to your hashtag Edmonds Out video series. I'll, I'll definitely tune into that. And I, I encourage everybody else to tune into that. And you do get back. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I can testify to that because I reached out to you on Twitter and you got right back to me. So make sure if you have any questions, you, you reach out to Dr. Edmonds. She's got a, a ton of experience and a lot of good things to say about where education should be heading and how we should be helping out everybody else in the universe. We'll go with that one scene. It's out there waiting for us. It's absolutely waiting. Thank you, Chris. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master's schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. 
Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E.